It's been a hard weekend. I'm going to try to get through this. If it doesn't make sense, sorry. Last week we uh, were in 1 Samuel. Uh, we learned some motions. Anybody remember them? It's always a good test for a preacher. Uh, if anybody remembers anything that he said, does anybody remember anything that I've said ever? All right, good. I feel better. Does anybody remember said what we did last week? I see some of the motions. It's good. Uh, travel. No, anyway. Uh, uh, we were talking about last week in 1 Samuel 7 how Israel, at the period that we find them in here in this book, has uh, spent a long time away from God, actually started worshiping the idols of their neighbors, the Canaanites. And uh, they finally got fed up with it. They realized it wasn't working. I'm going to talk a lot about that today. And so they, they repent, they relent, they return, they come to their, uh, their prophet, their priest, their judge, their leader, Samuel, and they say, help us. Help us make things right with our God. And these are the four things we learned last week as Samuel gathers Israel together in this prayer service in the back half of chapter seven. Uh, he leads them to repentance. And so we talked about uh, and return. We return to God. Anybody remember this? Anybody gonna do this with me at all? You can stay seated. I know I'm tired too today. Here we go. We return to God. And then what does God do for us? He rescues us. It's contingent, one more time, on us returning to him. But when we return to him, he, he takes us back and he rescues us. The way that happened in our story is that Israel is at this prayer meeting. And uh, as they're praying, their um, enemies, the Philistines, who had occupied their territory for decades to this point, after defeating them in battle a few chapters before, uh, they hear about their mass gathering at Mizpah with Samuel, and they don't take it as a nice church service. They take it as an act of war, and they say, well, we're going to quell this rebellion, and, uh, and so they arm themselves, and they head to Mizpah, and you can see the dust cloud, perhaps, on the horizon. There's messengers coming uh, with the news of the Philistine military advance. And Israel's been here before. And uh, as they're repenting, they're fearful. And so, having learned from previous failures, they do it right this time. And instead of, uh, like they did in chapter 4, sending for the box, the Ark of the Covenant, instead of, uh, as they did in chapter 4, uh, relying on previous military victories and the memories of those. Instead of relying on themselves, if you don't, listen, if you gotta leave early today, I'm not offended, I wish I could. <laughs> but if you don't hear anything else that I say today, this is what I'm gonna talk about for the next three hours. I'm kidding, not that long. I just want you to understand there's a way to do things in life that are in line with, that, that honor our God. Those ones work. If you do anything, I'm going to try to keep it together today. Oh, man. If you do anything in life that's your idea and your idea alone, on your strength and your strength alone, it's just not going to work. And so Israel 
fortunately, in this time in their history, has learned that lesson from their forefathers, from their own experiences just a generation ago. When they went to battle with the Philistines, they lost because they counted on themselves. But this time, they cried to their leader, Samuel, pray for us. Lead us in our hallelujah. (laughs) Enlist the help of God in our time of need. And together with Samuel, they prayed. And if you were here last week, you know how it worked. God heard their prayers. And it says, in your books, he answered Israel. He said to Israel, I'll help you. And supernaturally defeats the Philistines. He makes it thunder from the heavens. I'm not thinking like that little rumble that makes you think, oh, it might rain. I'm thinking like the lightning hit the tree next to me. You ever had that? Been that close? That's a loud piece of thunder right there. Kind of makes you jump. God rumbles from heaven. The Philistines shake in their boots. The Israelites are buoyed in their courage and they chase the Philistines out of the territory that they had long occupied. It's then, as Israel returned and God rescued, that Samuel pauses in the story and says, let's set up a rock, an Ebenezer. A stone of help, a stone of the reminder of God's help. It was ours to remember, and what we're going to talk about today, uh, you know, moving forward in the story of Israel here in the book of 1 Samuel, is after some years, Israel has forgotten once again. They walk past the stone, probably on the daily, at least on the yearly, and they, like you and I, have horrible spiritual amnesia. And they fall prey to what we've always fallen prey to. Can we just... Can we just admit that we as a human race are prone to wander? Lord, we feel it. It started in the garden. I always take you there, but let's go there one more time. It's still unbelievable to me. Unbelievable to me that the first people in perfection, paradise, no sin until they chose it, are hanging out in the garden and certainly They were tempted, our adversary, the devil, in the form of a snake, slithers in, and he convinces them of this one thing. You know this could be better. I mean, God's given you perfection, but you know you could have more. Sure, it'll cause you to go against what he's commanded, but but it'll be better, trust me. And off we went. It's the story of us. It's the story of our book. When we live satisfied, contented in the God who's given us life, then life is ours. Life as he meant it, life at its best. But when we choose him not and lie to ourselves and convince ourselves that Beyond him, there's something better. That's when the mess sets in. So I wrote you an email this weekend about going to the DMV. Can I advise you never, if you're ever in my position, to write emails uh, preceding an experience 
about how sometimes the got-to stuff in life teaches you lessons you could never learn otherwise, you are just teeing yourself up if you do that. Can I just let you know that? Like if you forecast that this might be a tough thing and that God might teach you things through it, just get ready. Now if you read my email, I did everything I could to, to make this DMV experience the best that it could be. It was for my father-in-law to get his Florida ID card. He's moved here. It wasn't even me that needed to go to the DMV, which like somehow doubles down on, on the disappointment. Are you with me? I'm just the ride. And so I, I, I went online two weeks ago. I thought, where would be the least trafficked DMV site? Plant City is where I went. Sorry if you're from there. Uh, just so you know, not true. <laughs> Super loaded over there. But I set my appointment with the expectation that our government would honor my appointment time. <laughs> I even left early. My appointment was at two. I left my house at one o'clock. I got there at about 11 or, or 1.20. I'm 40 minutes early. And again, my supposition was I got here early. Perhaps I'll even slide further forward in the line. So there we sat around 1.30 waiting for our number to appear. Who's been there? Come on. And they've gotten smart, haven't they? They don't go sequentially anymore. They throw out all these random numbers so they, you, can, you are just, you're just thrown off. You don't even know. At about four o'clock, <laughs> yeah, you do the math. I'm still sitting in the same chair that I was sitting in next to my father-in-law. Now you gotta know that around 2.15, I went up and asked. Hey, I went online, I set this appointment, uh, I haven't seen anything that even looks like the number that I have. Uh, what is my expectation today? And they gave me the story. It happens. We had tons of people call out. I don't know why everybody was calling out on a Thursday. But they called out. We're half-staffed. We have the same amount of people. It's just going to take longer. And I had, <laughs> fortunately, written the email. And I was like, ah, ha, 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 you're funny. Lord, that's a good one. All right, I'll do it. Here we go. I'll go sit down. And I sat there for the next two and a half hours. My father-in-law hadn't written the email. Hadn't even read the email. He didn't know that I set us up for this one. Sorry. And so about 4.15, he's played every game of Sudoku that he can play on my phone. <laughs> and by the way, great game. If you're playing it right now, don't blame you. Keep going. I don't care. But my dad's finally gotten tired of the boxes of nine. And so he's like, you know what? 90 years old. You know what? Patient. He's, he's like the picture of patience. One of the most passive, relaxed dudes I know. But he's had it. You know what? I'm going to go up there and I'm going to get us in. <laughs> I'm going to see what's going on. And I was like, dad, I told you. Like two and a half hours ago, what's going on? It's still going on. <laughs> ah, but you know, I'm sure I could do something here. And so he gets his walker. <laughs> and he shuffles up to the line. 
And he talks to this lady, who, by the way, has already been answering his question from everybody else in the room. She's having a bad day at work. But she was sweet with my dad. My dad was kind in his question. It was probably the best possible interaction that they could have. As always, my father cannot have any social interaction without telling at least two jokes. Do you want to hear them? Yeah, don't laugh at these, please. You'll only encourage him. What kind of mouse can jump higher than a house? No kind of mouse, or excuse me, every mouse because a house can't jump. There you go. Here's the second one. Which side of the turkey has the most feathers? The outside, silly. They are not great. Stop that. It's painful. Every Publix line I go through. Smiles. She laughs politely. She ends up being the one who actually helps us, which was great. But he shuffles back to me, sits down, and gives me the report. Yeah, they only uh, had half their people report today. (laughs) And it's probably going to be a little while. No kidding. Like, that's what I told you. Uh, About half an hour later, we got in, for those of you who need closure. Here's why my dad did what he did. He was displeased with his experience in life. Discontent. Understandably, listen, I'm not saying that you don't go up and ask people in situations for how long and all. I'm not saying, this is not a sermon about that. But it's a sermon that starts there. Because spiritually speaking, anytime you and I go off the ranch, it starts with discontent. Here's what God's given me. Don't want it. I'm going to do something on my own. My dad was discontent. Things weren't going according to his schedule. Am I poking anybody on this one? Hey, God, I've been praying for a while. Hurry up. Oh, you're not going to say what I said or not going to do what I asked? Well, I'll just make it happen on my own. Uh, It's been a hard weekend. Maybe you've picked that up from what I'm putting down. I want to get out of here. I was here all day yesterday. I was up most of the night Friday night getting ready for what happened yesterday morning. Uh, uh, A family that I love dearly. Uh, I've worked with the dad uh, since I moved here. He's been on our staff uh, for 19 years. I got here 18 years ago. Um, Their daughter, Peyton, uh, was a 16-year-old junior in Armwood, smart as a whip, hilarious, quirky as all get out. Uh, I've known her since she was born, and for the past 15 months, I've prayed with her and her family uh, that once she got her diagnosis of a geoblastoma, whatever that is in her brain, that God would heal her. Uh, don't ask me why. 
but he, he allowed Peyton to die a couple Tuesday nights ago. And yesterday morning, this room was full of her friends and family as we said our goodbyes. And I watched as her mom and dad and her sister um, came up here and bravely uh, told her story. Asked us not to forget, I won't. And I stood up and I had to say what I had to say. And you guys might think this is easy, it's not. And on particular days and particular services, it's impossible to do what I'm doing right now. Like there's just nothing. And so I stayed up all Friday night and got here early and begged God to give me something to say. Here's what he gave me. He gave me the story of a king in 2 Samuel. His name's David. Maybe you've heard of him. He has a son. He's born and quickly shows signs of ill health. David prays, fasts, sleeps on the floor next to his child. But his child still passes away. And then what he does next kind of baffles uh, his staff. Uh, upon hearing the news, he gets up and he bathes. It actually says this in 2 Samuel chapter 12. He bathes, gets dressed, anoints himself. That's Old Testament code for puts on deodorant. And he, he leaves the palace. Where does he go? To the bar? To crawl inside some bottle? To somehow cope with the loss of his child? No. Heads to the tabernacle. And all it says, we got just kind of the, the summary. It says he worships. He worships God. I'm sure not thanking him for his pain. But certainly saying, hey God, I don't know why this is happening. I wish it hadn't. But I trust you in it. And here's my hallelujah. That's all I got. He comes back to the palace and his staff come to him and say, I don't, we don't understand. Your son just died. What are you doing? And I'm summarizing here as, as Samuel, Second Samuel does. But he just gets real practical and he says, hey, listen. What's happened has happened. I am where I am. And I have choices in this situation as to what I'm going to do. Now, I could get angry. Lots of people do. I could lash out at the God who could have stopped this. I could take this out on the people I love. Those are my options, or among my options. But if you know anything about David, uh, had his flaws, made mistakes, but he was a man after God's own heart. And so he says, listen, I'm, I'm rejecting those as my options. In this situation, I trust God. I'm going to walk with him. Because of my faith, I'm confident uh, that even though my son will not return to me here, this is in your book, I will someday go to him where he is. And that's enough for me. Now don't think for a minute that he wasn't gutted. That he wasn't mourning. He's not an automaton. He's just making a rational choice. 
in an impossible situation to put his faith in his God and to walk that path as opposed to making it up on his own. Our Bible's full of situations where these choices are available to the people in them. Jesus arrives on the scene in Matthew in chapters 5, 6, and 7. He does some incredible teaching. You should read the Sermon on the Mount every week. I mean, read the rest of what you have in your Bible plan or whatever, but just do yourself that favor. Bless yourself with the teachings of Jesus in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You'll come to the end of chapter 7 and you will read these words. As Jesus is wrapping up, he looks out at that crowd that day and he says, listen, I said a bunch here and if you listen to me and do what I say, you're like a man who builds his house on a rock and all of life can come against you but you will stand firm. If you heed what I say and choose it in life, everything's gonna be okay, even when it's not okay. But if you listen to me and you choose not to do what I say, then you are like a man who builds his house on the sand. That was code for you're a fool. Everybody gets that, right? Only a fool would build his house on a foundation that wouldn't hold. And he says, when the storms of life come in that person's life, he won't stand. And I get up here and I've preached to you guys for 18 years. Pretty much the same message every week. God's got the life that we're meant to have. The the life that we're meant to live. If we heed and do our lives are secure in him. He's given us the foundation we're meant to build on. It's when we choose him not that life, maybe not immediately, but eventually is gonna come off the rails. I've preached that to people who've been here before I was here. You know Jesus just like I know Jesus and you need that message because even though you're a child of God just like everybody else that we read about in the Bible from the Old Testament through the New Testament, Christians, Old Testament saints, we know God and choose him not all the time. Adam and Eve started it. We've been doing it since. Are you with me? But I've been preaching it to those of you who keep coming around for whatever reason, hanging out online or sitting here with your family. Perhaps it's just been this lifelong, oh, go. But you continue to hold out. And over and over again, like the song we sang, Our God keeps climbing up every mountain. There's no mountain he won't climb up. He keeps coming after you. And you keep giving him the finger. Thinking it's okay. I'm doing fine without. And what I'm telling you is you're building your life on sand. I told you, I don't know how this is going to go. Oh, here we go. So Jesus says, you get a choice. You can heed what I say and do what I say, rock. Ignore what I say, disobey what I say, sand. There was a common theme in his message. One of my favorite parts where he revisits this idea is in 
A few chapters after Matthew 7, in Matthew 11, he's hanging out with his disciples. And he's already kind of popped the cork on this thing, but he, he's, he's been teaching them that I'm not just this cool rabbi that you're following around Israel. I'm not just this Messiah figure, you know, like you have been anticipating according to the prophets. I am the son of man, the son of God. I am equal with the Father, which just blew the minds of those who worshiped in the Jewish faith, which was everybody in Israel. We've got the one true God. Our, our commandments start with don't worship any other gods except him. But you're saying, Carpenter from Nazareth, that you are on par with, you are the son of the one true God. This is what got him crucified. Everybody gets that, right? To the Jews, he was a heretic because he equated himself with the Father. In John's gospel, he says these familiar and famous words, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. He says that here in Matthew chapter 11, 27. The Father and I are one. If you want to see him, you go through me. And then he says these words. He makes an invitation. He says to those listening to him, so come, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. I'll give you the life that you deserve, the life that God alone can give. It's not a life that we deserve. I said that wrong. <laughs> it's a life that none of us deserves, but a life that God, despite our sin and rebellion chooses to give. He says, come on, I'll give it to you. He goes on to describe this life in terms of a yoke. He says, my yoke is easy and its burden is light. Maybe you don't understand that. We don't do a lot with yokes these days. I'm not, I'm not talking about the yellow thing on your eggs. I'm talking about this wooden handcuff that basically linked one oxen to another. If you put two oxen together in this, this wooden, you know, headpiece, you got a tractor. It's really cool. But the yoke that Jesus refers to here is emblematic of his teachings. He says, if you just adopt my teachings, if that's what rabbis did. They, they called their teachings, their ideas about life, their yoke. If you are the other oxen who gets in my yoke with me and walks with me and believes as I believe and thinks as I think and heads where I head, then you are truly my follower. We're together in my yoke. And Jesus says, hey, the yoke that I offer as your rabbi is an easy one. It's not rooted in all of your uh, obedience to the laws. It's rooted in your belief in me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I read those words and I'm like, sign me up. I'm all about easy and light, right? And then you start living this Christian life. Anybody ever had those days where being a Christian was not easy or light? Come on, man. Just me? Yeah, we live in a world. It's not about it. It's not about Jesus. So you're going to go to work tomorrow, Bill, and it may not be easy where you go to work. It may not feel light. might feel heavy. 
The next time you're hanging out with your family and they continue to mock you for this faith that you've chosen. Might feel like this thing that you need to escape. Certainly might be something that is dissatisfying to you. You're discontent. You're sitting in your DMV, which is Christianity. You're like, this is what I signed up for. It's taking too long. It's not what I want. And so I'm going to go do something about it. <laughs> like that'll somehow fix things. Some of you are wondering, is he going to actually get the first Samuel chapter 8? <laughs> yeah. And I'm just going to mostly read it. But I needed to say all this stuff because what I want you to hear today is just one thing. You're not going to see a bunch of points flash across the screen. I don't have them. I got this one idea for you today. Hey, God is real. He is sovereign. And he knows best. And his idea of your life is the best life that you can have. Even as the hard things come, it's the best life that you can have. And so when you come to the choices of life, to hear and heed what God has given, or to choose another path, my prayer, my simple prayer for us, is that we'll get better at hearing, heeding, staying and following. All right, let's read 1 Samuel. In chapter 8, it starts like this. Years have passed. Things have happened. It's not recorded in our book. But we are way past Mitzpah and the delivery that God has given from the Philistines. It says that Samuel becomes old. I don't know how old, but old enough to have adult children because he makes his sons, which we don't find out about their birth or his wife or anything like that, but he makes his sons judges over Israel. Now don't think judge like Judy or Wapner or whoever your favorite is. Judges in the Bible are governors, they're leaders. It was God's idea initially when Israel finally landed in the promised land for judges to rule over the tribes and the towns that were in them. Look what it says in Deuteronomy 16. God, speaking through Moses to the children of Israel, says, you shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you according to your tribes. And they shall judge the people or lead or you know, uh, rule over the people with righteous judgment. That's his governing plan. That's how he's gonna do this. And so that's what's been in place. Up till this point in Israel's history, in the land, judges have governed, right? So Sam's there, he's Papa Judge. He's got these two kids, just like Eli had two kids a few chapters ago, right? And, and the line continues from the judge to sons. Let's find out about these sons. The name of the firstborn son, verse two in chapter eight, was Joel, Billy. I love you just the way you are. And the name of his second was Abijah, or Abijah. And these guys were judges in Beersheba. Here we go, Mediterranean Sea, Sea of Galilee, River Jordan, Dead Sea. Uh, uh, we're going to find out that Samuel's posted up here in kind of the, the mid-section uh, uh, of Israel, just north of Jerusalem, like seven miles, in a place called Ramah. Everybody say Ramah. That comes from the Hebrew Ramalama Ding Dong. That's not true. 
but I'm having a hard weekend, so I'm telling that joke at every service. All right. So Samuel's in Ramah. Beersheba is 110 miles to the south. No internet, no FaceTime, Zooms, right? And so these guys are down there, left to themselves as they lead as judges. Let's find out how they do. His sons, verse 3, did not walk in Samuel's ways. Surprise, surprise. I know everybody's sons in here are doing what God wants them to do, like mine are. Oh, wait, mine isn't, right? Same thing with Sam's kids. They turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice as you know, governmental leaders. I am so glad we live in an age in our country where nobody in our politics or government are taking bribes or serving special interests as they lead us as a country. Is everybody picking up what I'm putting down? This is kind of endemic of uh, leadership throughout history. No matter your party, by the way. So, the story moves forward. We got Sam and his kids. Sam's old, he's gonna die soon. His kids are gonna take over. So Israel asks God for a change. Maybe we can do something different, Lord. Sam, what do you think? Different system? They come to Samuel, the elders of Israel do in verse four. They meet Samuel at at Ramah. And they say to him, verse five, behold, Behold, as this Bible speak for check it out. You're old. Ouch. Your sons do not walk in your ways. That was a little kinder. So appoint us a king to judge us like all the nations. Give us a king. The judge thing isn't working out. Certainly once you're dead, it's going to get really bad up in here. So we're ready for a change. And if you've read the Bible and have, have kind of moved forward from here, uh, things do change. We're going to find a king in Israel in a few chapters. His name's Saul, right? He's the first one. It's going to go forward from there. This is the beginning of a new era in Israel, Israel's history. <laughs> and you might think, wow, uh, God's really against this, especially as you start reading in the verses that follow this. God does not want these guys to have a king. Uh, Let me uh, assure you, he was okay with it. In fact, instructed, a chapter after he talked about judges, instructed the children of Israel in the Exodus, in the wilderness, as they're waiting to go into the promised land, go ahead, get you a king. He actually (laughs) talked to Moses about this very day happening. Look what it says in Deuteronomy 17. He says, uh, when you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you and you possess it and dwell in it and then say... This is basically what they just said in 1 Samuel 8. I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. Uh, Verse 15, he says, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. Oh, there's a qualifier right there, right? I've spent, you know, I don't know how long talking to you guys how uh, God is God. He has a life for you that is best. And so we need to let him be the, the progenitor, the beginner, the, uh, the, the, the instigator in the things that come in our lives. Let me choose for you. Uh, let me choose the actual person, and that's going to happen. 
Samuel's going to anoint the first couple kings, uh, first Saul and then a guy named David, right? Uh, but there's something larger at foot here. When, when, when God says to Moses, hey, we can have kings, just let me choose them. He's not just saying the actual guy, he's saying let me choose the time. Let me be the appointer of the era that is the king's. And what we have in Samuel is not that, right? Whose idea is it to have a king? All the elders. And what's their idea about their king? Is it God's idea? Have they, have they you know, filtered through, we should probably have someone who loves the Lord and who serves the Lord and all those things? No, all they want, look at what it says in verse five, appoint us a king to judge us like all the other kings. Like all the other nations that have kings. They've looked no further than this plane for what they want in life. I know you never do that. I don't. Lightning, right? We do that all the time. We, we consider that God's ways, God's timing would be best, but then we look around us and we're like, well, they're not waiting for God, and they're doing just fine without God, and, and they have things apart from faith in God, and so if it's working for them, it might work for me. Just give me, God, what I want on this plane. Let me be like everybody else. In fact, Father, I don't need you. I'll go and get what I need from the world that you've created, and I will be able to satisfy my soul with those things apart from you. Oh, the folly of that choice. That's what Israel's doing. Give us a king. You're old. They stink. Let's go. Make it happen. Samuel, a little disappointed, says in verse 6 that he was displeased. When I first read this, I thought, of course he's displeased. They just called him old. No one wants to be told they're old, right? Hurt his feelings. And they, they ripped on his kids. Doesn't matter how garbage your kids are, you still love them, right? Don't go after my kids, mama bear, right? Tiger mom. He's not a mom. Anyway. But if you read the story of Samuel, he's most concerned with his God and how his people relate to him and follow him. And so I think his displeasure is mostly in that direction. He prays to the Lord, and he's probably surprised by the answer that God gives. In verse 7, it says, the Lord says to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. Let me read that again. God says, okay, let's give him a king. And don't take it personally, Sam. They have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being their king. They want what they see on this plane. They're decidedly discontent in what I'm giving them, in the timing of this. And so I'll give them what they want. Their problem is with me. God goes history lesson in the next verse. He says, according to all the deeds that they've done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, they've been forsaking me over and over again and serving other gods, literal idols, Canaanite idols, and themselves and their idea of how life should go. And they're doing this to you now, Sam. Nothing new. It's what you humans do, unfortunately. So obey their voice, verse 9. One condition, 
you shall solemnly warn them, like warn them, warn them. You shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over you. Anybody watched uh, a TV commercial for a, a new drug that's on the market? Starts out with people riding bikes and smiling, right? Do you have horrible this or that? Try new this. It'll change everything. It's a game changer. Studies show blah, 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 blah. Now, they are required by law to give the rest of the story. So at the end of all of these commercials, as people are still frolicking in the meadow, right, and holding hands in bathtubs as they watch the sunset, right, as these scenes are playing, some guy in a very monotone, fast voice lists all of the side effects. I wanted an actual one, so I went online. I just said, drug side effects. The first website that came up uh, was a website, uh, Yale University, uh, and it is, uh, describes or, or promotes a, a new drug called Paxlovid. I've never heard of it. Uh, if you can probably guess, it's got Ovid in the end. So it's a COVID deterrent, which let's not bring that up. Everybody settle down. All right. But it's a, a new drug on the market that's supposed to help in keeping COVID from affecting your life. And so it talks about, there's like seven paragraphs that talk about all of its benefits. And then at the very bottom, there's a bulleted list of, of maybe some things that could happen if you take this. First one, trouble swallowing or breathing, which to me is kind of the whole point of a pill for COVID. Are you with me? Let's keep going. You got hives, swelling of the mouth, lips or face, throat tightness, hoarseness, skin rash, an altered or impaired sense of taste. Again, I thought we were fighting against COVID. Anyway, uh, uh, how about diarrhea? Who's up for some good diarrhea? Anybody want some of that? Increased blood pressure, muscle aches, abdominal pain, nausea, and in case they forgot something, here's the last one in the bulleted list. Feeling generally unwell. Sign me up, I'm in. God says, Sam, tell him the whole story. And so Sam hears from God in verse 10, tells all of the words of the Lord to the people who are asking for a king from him. I'm gonna go through these really fast, but notice how many times the word take appears. See, the elders of Israel are like, oh, if we could just have a king, how great would that be? It'll just be us receiving and him giving. It'll be awesome. Mm. But here's what they can expect. Verse 11, these will be the ways of these kings who will reign over you. The king will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. The king will take your sons and appoint them to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties. Oh, that'd be great. No, they're going to go die in wars on his behalf. Your king will take your sons and some of your sons will plow his ground and reap his harvest so that he has food to eat. They'll make his implements of war and the equipment for his chariots so that again he can wage war. He will take your daughters. He's done with the sons. Let's move on to the girls. Ladies, you'll be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He'll take the best of your fields, your property and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants instead of you. He will take a tenth of your grain, which whatever you manage to keep for yourself after that, he'll take a tenth of that and your vineyards and he'll give it to his officers and to his servants. He'll take your male servants, 
He'll take your female servants, he'll take the best of your young men and your donkeys, and he'll put them to work for himself. He will take a tenth of your flocks. And at this point, I think you know, Samuel's kind of made his point, so he just summarizes. You'll have a general feeling of unwellness. You shall be his slaves. This king who you hope will bring you freedom and flourishing will just take from you and make you his slaves. Oh, come on. Seriously, people, can we not see that the choices we make apart from the will of God are just going to take from his very best for us and leave us slaves to whatever they are? Go on and run after your money. You worship it, it's gonna own you. Go on and run after your drugs or your alcohol. It's getting all you know, general here, all, you know. But anything that you give yourself to will own you and take from you. Go on and run after that better person to be a spouse. Go on and run after all that stuff. It is salt water, people. Drink it and get thirsty. Man, he's got to settle down and it's 12 o'clock. We got to get out of here, man. I mean, thanks for all the. But we got to go. All right, I'll let you go. Let me read verse 18. I skipped it last service. It says this In that day, when you have kings, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. Do you get the juxtaposition with what? God said to Moses in Deuteronomy, let me pick them. No, you guys chose this. And just so we're clear, because you've chosen this, and I've warned you, no rescue. It's only when we return that he rescues. Are you with me? Hmm. So, Samuel's done with the speech. Can I just finish the text? I won't preach a whole bunch of it. He just says, here's the warning. Here's the warning label. Anybody surprised what the people do? Look at verse 19. Great. Awesome. Sounds awesome. Sam, I know there's probably going to be some struggles, but great. Give us a king. In fact, they're very emphatic. They say, no. La, 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 la. We're not listening. No, there shall be a king over us. So that we might be like all the other nations. And that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Mm. Please, spare me. Spare me your, your you know, get-rich-quick schemes, your, your perfect plans for how you're going to solve the riddle that is life. Spare me. You are not in control. And the worst thing you can do is lie to yourself and convince yourself that you are. Listen to those bozos. Our king, he'll go out for us and fight our battles. Has Israel ever won a battle that God did not win for them? Real quick, no. Every fight they had from Jericho to what happened in the last chapter. 
of this same book. God won the battle. We don't fight with chariots, horses. Our weapons are not fashioned by men. We are the people of the faith in God. And we look to him for what we need in life, for the path to walk in life, for the defense that we require in the battles of life. Uh, I'll just yell at you all day if I keep going. But I get so tired in my own life and in your lives as I watch them unfold of people saying, I know better. There's something more apart from me patiently and obediently staying in step with my father. I can make this better than that. And if you don't hear anything else this preacher ever says, if this was my one shot with you, good to have you. If that's how you think, you're a fool. God loves you. He's crazy about you. He wants to give you the life that he wants to give you. And the quicker you can get with him, the better this whole thing's going to go. That's all I got. Will you stand with me?